I have in my hand an orange, and I'm curious to know how many of you, at least on one level or another, how many of you associate oranges with Christmas? Did you grow up associating oranges? There's some older people raising their hands. That's that really bothers me. I uh, I grew up getting oranges in my stocking. I always thought it was strange. About a two or three days before Christmas, mom would buy a bag of oranges, and somehow, I think Santa would sneak into the kitchen and grab the oranges and then stick them in my stocking and would wake up. And then every year, a uh, few days before Christmas, on a Saturday, we would hear the fire whistle go off. We'd hear the fire whistle go off in town, and we'd all run uptown together, and there's the fire truck and Santa coming in on the fire truck, and <clears throat> everybody would get a, uh, they still, you guys still do that, don't you? Everybody would get a, uh, a little paper bag filled with peanuts and uh, candy cane, and I think sometimes there was like ribbon candy in it, which always disturbed me because it was like rubbing up against the peanuts, and so you'd have this nasty, sticky, salty ribbon candy. There's always an orange in there. Who is, someone's got to remind me because I can't remember. Who was it that played Santa in town for years? Who was that? Was that Harvey Washburn? That's who that was? It was Harvey? I remember Harvey would come to the school. We'd get our our little our, our oranges at school and then he'd come on Saturday and we'd be we'd be uptown. But that's a holdover from an earlier time when oranges, you know, you didn't just go down to Walmart like I did this week and look at oranges and go, ooh, those are too expensive. I want to get the cheap oranges because I'm just going to use it for a sermon illustration. Uh, you couldn't go to Walmart and get oranges all the time. And so an orange around Christmas in the dead of winter, if you got an orange, that was a, that was a gift. That was a treat. And we grew up knowing that oranges were good for us, right? I mean, you'd see that commercial talking about Florida oranges, and you got to eat your oranges, drink your orange juice. And we grew up knowing that you had to eat your orange, eat your orange, you don't want to get a cold, so eat, eat, make sure you eat your orange. And of course, it helps that they're sweet and they're juicy and they're delicious. So, so an orange is a gift that we give other people, and it's a gift that we receive from people, and it's also good for us. So it is a wonderful representation of the fruit of the Spirit of goodness. It is the fruit that wants what's best for other people, and it moves us to provide that for them. Now last week, we looked at the story of the, the rich young ruler, and the problem with that guy was that he got the, he got the story backwards. He, he, his question was completely backwards. He asked Jesus, what good thing must I do so that I can inherit eternal life? He made goodness about himself and what he would gain from it, about what goodness would do for him. And that's completely backwards to the fruit of the Spirit of goodness and the goodness that Jesus calls us to. We are called to cultivate goodness in other people's lives. We are called to cultivate goodness in the lives of the people around us. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to in that Scripture that you saw played out in that little video, the Scripture we're going to look at today in Jesus' most well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And it's a passage that you're, you're most likely familiar with. It is Jesus' call for who we are to be in our world, what kind of effect we are to bring on the world around us, and how we bring goodness into the lives of the people we touch. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp 
and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all, the ho- all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's what we're called to do. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness is a gift that we bring into the lives of other people. That's what Jesus is showing us here. He wants us to recognize that goodness is something that we do. And I think that's important. Goodness is something we do. I think that's important because it seems to have fallen out of style lately to admit that we do anything good. It just seems to have fallen out of style to admit that we do good things or that that somehow we, we could even be good. And I can't tell you, I listen to a lot of preachers. Uh, I listen to a lot of preachers and a lot of different sermons, and I can't tell you how many times I hear preachers, preachers just get up, and, and all they'll talk about is how bad they are. And over and over again, these preachers get up and they say, I'm the worst hypocrite. I'm the worst Christian ever. I do so many bad things. I disappoint God every day. I, I'm, I'm just an awful person. And, and I get it. You know, it's, it's, this, it's this humility thing. But when that's all we ever talk about, what does that produce? What it produces is churches full of people who say, I'm a hypocrite. I'm an awful person. I do, I do horrible things. I disappoint God every day. And, and for those on the outside, if they're not seeing anything good, if they're not hearing anything good, why would they ever want to be on the inside? What good do we have to offer them? And so Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Light is a symbol that is used all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's right there at the very beginning. Chapter 1 of Genesis, there's light, right? We see light all the way through, and it's a symbol that is used. uh, Most frequently, it symbolizes purity as opposed to to filth. Light symbolizes truth as opposed to lies. Light symbolizes God's presence as opposed to the the darkness and the the loneliness uh, of evil. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. That's that's you. That's us. That's you and me. That's his followers. We bring light into our world. I think the confusion for us might be that at times we think goodness is about us. We think goodness is about who we are. And, And that might have been the problem with this rich young ruler. What must I do to prove that I am worthy? And Jesus turned it around on him. And he said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me because you'll have treasures in heaven. Go and do something for other people. It's not about what your goodness does for you. It's about what is it doing for others. You you are the light of the world. Therefore, be a light for the world. The good things that we do, the the acts of kindness that we do, the, the gifts of goodness that we do, they are not there to prove what good people we are because we're better than other people who don't do these things. They are there to light the way for people to see God. That's why we we do them. That's what we're called to do. We are called to reveal the goodness of God. Those those preachers I listen to who love to tell people how awful they are, (laughs) love to tell people what kind of hypocrites they are, they have a point, okay? They, They do have a point. The goodness is not about us. It's not about us. In fact, Paul, Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, no one does good, not even one. In and of ourselves, if we are left on our own, we will screw up, we will go on and we will just get worse and worse. 
But what Jesus wants us to show the world, what he wants us to show our world is, is God's goodness. It's not about us. It's not about what we have to offer. It's about God. And it's about what he has to offer. And in fact, Jesus, Jesus has to warn us about hiding God's goodness from other people. He says, a, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he goes on in verse 15 and says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And Jesus wants us to see the absurdity of this statement here. You don't light a lamp and then immediately put it under a basket or put it under a bowl. It doesn't belong in a basket. It belongs in a position where it's going to do the most good. So put it on a stand. Raise it up high. Let it light the entire house. And again, he's saying, that's you. That's, that's my followers. That's who we are to be. We are to reveal God's goodness. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, every now and then you're watching TV or you see those pictures. It's, it's, it seems like it's almost always the same picture. You see the picture of the, of the Great Pyramid. You know, the pictures I'm talking about, you always see the picture. How many, has anyone here seen the Great Pyramids in real life? Has anyone been somewhere where you've seen the... Nope, you people ought to get out more. Anyway, uh, they got these things. They're called pyramids, right? And they're really, really old. You know how old the pyramids are? I mean, they estimate the pyramids were built around 2500 B.C. So there is more time between the pyramids and Jesus than there is time between Jesus and us. That's how old they are. They are. There is more time between Cleopatra and the Cleopatra lived closer to the invention of the cell phone than she did to the, to, to the building of the pyramids. Think about that. Those are really, really old. They're very old. I'm trying not to look at anybody right now. What they look like when you were a kid. Anyway, you know, when the, when the pyramids were first built, when you and I see them now, they're just kind of sand-collared, you know, and they're just rough rocks. But when they were first built, they were smooth, and they were covered in white limestone. And so if you can just imagine what it would be like coming upon Egypt at night with little fires burning in, in houses and little fires burning around the place, and all of a sudden you see these shining pyramids being lit by moonlight and starlight, these things would shine as you were approaching Egypt. You would, you would see them shining from the distance. And that's not just the pyramids. That was all cities back then. The walls of Jerusalem, you know, we see these things again, and it just looks like rocks. But way back then, the walls of Jerusalem were coated in white limestone so that when people would light their fires in their homes at night, it would light up the whole city. So if you were trying to make your way to safety at night, if you were outside the city walls and you were trying to get back, you could, you could see where you were going. It would light your way to safety. And Jesus says a city set on a hillside cannot be hidden. That's you guys. That's who... That's who you are to be. I was talking to my friend Bob Motley the other day. And Bob and I were talking about growing up in Kansas. And I didn't grow up coming to church. Like most of you guys know that. I didn't, I didn't grow up coming to church. I wasn't a church kid. But I knew who the church people were. I knew who the church people in Kansas were because I could see their light shining. I could see the lives that they were living. I, I, I knew who the, who the light was in Kansas. And I think about that sometimes because I, I know there are bigger cities around us. I know there's bigger towns around us. 
And I know there's bigger churches in those bigger towns. And I know they got, they got bigger opportunities, and, and I'll just go ahead and admit it, they got better preachers probably, okay? Probably, maybe. They got better preachers. But if we pull our light out of Kansas, what happens to that next generation of Brett Hammonds who don't go to church? Where do they see the light? What, where are they going to see the light shining? I think about the kids in our community who, like me, need to see that light. And if we're not shining here for them, then what is going to shine? What is going to catch their eye and catch their attention? And that's, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's about them. It's about what our goodness does for the people on the outside. And Jesus tells us when we reveal God's goodness, people respond with praise. When we show people God's goodness, they respond with praise. None of what Jesus says here in these three verses is about making ourselves look good. Nothing is about what we will gain, but what will our world gain? What will our community gain? What will our friends and neighbors gain? He says in verse 16, in the same way, in the same way as what? Well, in the same way that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way that you light a lamp and you hold it up so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he says in verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The goal isn't what they're going to think about us. The goal isn't how good we're going to look. The goal is their their response to God. That that the good things we do would draw them to God, that they would come and they would praise Him. So it's not about how good we can be, but how good can we make life for them? We cultivate goodness in the lives of the people around us. We, We plant goodness in their lives. We nurture goodness in their lives. We, we want them to see goodness in their own lives. We want to harvest goodness in their lives. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know what that means? That means they're going to have to see our good works. It means they're going to have to see our good works. And I know that's tough for us. I know that we've, we've got a church full of people who don't like to take credit. We don't like to take credit for good works. We like to do our good works anonymously. We don't want people to see it. But again, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about drawing other people to Him. Are there good things that we can do that will light the way in our community? I think about the disciples sitting there listening to Jesus as He, as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And it seems apparent to me that Peter was paying attention that day because Peter says almost the exact same thing. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's talking about the way we conduct ourselves in front of other people. How do we conduct ourselves in front of outsiders? And what do the people who are outside of the faith say about us? And he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the people who are on the outside. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, Peter's pretty honest. They're going to speak against you. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And and I love Peter's honesty here. Some people we encounter are going to be difficult. (laughs) Some of the people we encounter are going to be difficult. And and sometimes, sometimes they want to talk about how bad we are. They want to talk about how that church is full of hypocrites. They 
They want to talk about how that church is full of bad people and, and how that church is awful and how often that church fails. And people did that way back when, when Peter wrote this letter. And guess what? They, they still do that. They still want to talk about how bad we are. But that doesn't mean we withhold the lights because the good things that we do here have the power to change their eternities. I love the way Peter says that in this verse. He says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's not just about paying a water bill and letting somebody have water for another month. It's not just about meeting some need like that. It's about changing their eternities. That because they saw our good deeds, they'll be right there with us when Jesus returns. Growing up here in town and not going to church, I still knew who the Christians were. I was thinking about this the other day. I remember Sunday mornings, a lot of Sunday mornings I was sleeping in. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of Sunday mornings I'd sleep in. But I remember I'd occasionally get up and go outside early on, on Sunday mornings and be just kind of wandering around the yard. And I remember seeing cars that would drive by and people would wave at me. Her friends would wave. They were all dressed up. They'd wave at me. Here, i got to stay home. I remember I could hear the church bells ringing. And I'd, same bell we have now, right? The same exact bell. That church bell would ring. And, and over, over on this shed that Dad had in the backyard, there was a wash tub that hung on the back of that shed. And when the bell would ring, I'd pick up a stick, and I'd bang that wash tub. My neighbors had to love that, you know? Because a lot of them stayed home too. Uh, but that, that bell would ring. And every time the church bell would ring, I'd bang the wash tub and I'd ring it right back at them. And I was thinking about how there's, there's something within us that wants to resonate with what's happening around us. And somehow I wanted to resonate with that bell. I wanted to ring with that bell. we probably shouldn't be surprised when the kids in our community are resonating with something bad, right? Isn't that the goal? You just want to resonate with something. You want to, you want to make that sound that, that you've heard. You want to make that sound that was attractive to you. And maybe we shouldn't be surprised when they're resonating with bad stuff and when they're doing things that, they, that we know they shouldn't be doing. And maybe instead, we ought to raise the light up a little higher. And we ought to let them see that that there's something else that they could resonate. There's something else that could draw them. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and hide it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house. And in the same way, let your light shine before your community, before your people, so they might see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. There are amazing opportunities for us to let our light shine in this community. You know, in a couple of weeks, youth lunches are starting up again, right? In a couple of weeks, we'll be having lunches. And, and that is a light, not only to those kids that come, that is a light to the community. People talk about it. Some people talk evil, but people still talk. Isn't it great that they talk? We've got a group, wonderful new group called The Neighbors. And some of you are involved in The Neighbors. And The Neighbors are interested in reaching out and just asking people in our community, what can we do for you? What could we provide for you. And, and then there's just us as individuals. Every day we encounter people who need to see the light of God's goodness. What are we going to do to shine that light 
this week and whose eternity might we change because they saw God's light, they saw God's goodness through us. Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus, you've called us to shine your light in our world, to shine your light in our community, in our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. And there are so many people we encounter every day who are desperate for some sign that there is something greater than their struggle, that there is real goodness in this world. And the goodness they see through us just might lead them to you. So open our eyes to those needs around us this week. Give us wisdom and courage as we reach out and shine the light of Christ's love in their lives. Let them see Jesus through us. And let them see that to your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.